Thank you all for being here today. It's good to see you and to be back with you on this Sunday. Our theme for today is going to be sheep and shepherds, or shepherds and sheep. And uh, what better background or backdrop than the beautiful stained glass window behind me. When I first came here, someone told me there are 19 sheep up there. Um, I think that's right. Don't start counting them because you know what happens when you count sheep. And uh, <laughs> I want you to all stay with me for a little while longer anyway. But uh, sometime when you get a moment or during a hymn, you might want to count and see what you come up with. But it is a glorious work of art. And uh, it's good to know that it's, it's back there behind me. We want to continue in Mark's gospel, Remarkable Remarks from the Mind of Mark off and on for this summer. And today we're in Mark chapter 6, beginning with verse 30. Mark chapter 6 and verse 30. We're going to read verses 30 through 34 and then 53 through 56. There's a story in between there, and we're going to deal with that story in a couple of weeks from John's gospel. So that's why we're, we're skipping over a passage, and we'll refer to that later. But now would you stand as you are able for the reading of the Holy Gospel. The apostles gathered around Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. He said to them, Come away to a deserted place all by yourselves and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a deserted place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they hurried there on foot from all the towns and arrived ahead of them. As he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And then picking back up with verse 53, When they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret and moored the boat. When they got out of the boat, people at once recognized him and rushed about that whole region and began to bring the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went, in the villages or cities or farms, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged him that they might touch even the fringe of his cloak. And all who touched it were healed. This is the word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. As he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So goes our theme verse for today. Let me back up and do a little background work and, and set up this statement if I can. Jesus had sent the 12 apostles on a mission. That's what an apostle was. That was one who was sent. There were 12 apostles. There were many disciples. They were sent two by two and given authority over the demonic, over the evil forces in the world at that time. He was very specific about what they should take with them and what they should leave behind. He even had a dress code established for them, how they should dress. And he had very specific instructions about what to do if people welcomed you into their home and other instructions about what to do if people did not welcome you what you were to say and do. Today's passage began. The apostles were reporting back to their acknowledged leader. They were excited. 
They were tired, they were hungry, but they were excited. They had seen some incredible things and they just had to tell Jesus about it. Hopefully there's somebody in our lives that when something wonderful happens to us or we've had a great experience, somebody wants to hear it. And we've got somebody to tell about it, whether it's a a sibling or a parent or a child or a spouse or a friend. Somebody needs to hear about it. And they couldn't wait to tell Jesus about everything they had seen and heard. So they all loaded up on the boat because Jesus said, well, let's get away from here. Let's find a place where we can be by ourselves. And then I want to hear it. I want to hear what's happened with you. And so they loaded up on the boat, headed for a place where presently... There were no people. I had a scoutmaster back when I was a teenager, and his name was Mr. Douglas Peace. He was a Delta mechanic. And sometimes he would bring some stories back from work and tell some of the older scouts that he probably shouldn't have told us. But he was a a terrific guy. And looking back, I realized how much he cared about us. He was a Korean War veteran. He used to tell us, well, President Truman said he wanted peace in Korea. And the next thing I knew... There I was. But he had a lot of funny expressions. And one of the ones that I remember the most, he'd walk into a room full of people, a business, a store, anywhere. He'd look around and then he'd always say the same thing. He would always say there are more people in here than anybody else. Jesus and his closest followers were looking for a place where there were no people and where there were no anybody else's, and they thought they would find it on the other side of the lake, but they were spotted getting in the boat. And people from all that region of Galilee began to to walk and to run and to bring sick folks to where they saw Jesus was headed, where the boat had docked. A huge crowd had gathered. A solitary songbird, a croaking frog, a chirping cricket. Any one of those would have been a great background noise for these guys wanting to be by themselves. But those things may have been there, but there was also a welcoming committee made up of a cacophony of human voices, loud and needy voices, wanting to be with Jesus. His reputation had preceded him, not just around the lake, but all around the region. And seeing the crowd, Jesus had compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. How would we as individuals, how would we as God's people, God's church, have reacted? How do we react when we come across situations like that even today? I fear that arrogance and frustration and anger often overrule Compassion. Compassion. I think of it as that incredible mixture of God's love and God's mercy and God's grace. Compassion, it often falls victim to rigid ideologies and to judgmental attitudes. We let it get away from us sometimes, don't we? It is viewed by many folks, compassion is, as a sign of weakness. Do you think about it that way? Is that an accurate portrayal of the concept? Sometimes the most compassionate thing we can do is to have a strong backbone and some courage and the willingness to say no. We tell folks, I may have my limits. I have established my boundaries. I will no longer support or enable your bad behavior. 
this is what I'll do, this is what I won't do. Sometimes compassion means telling folks no, and that's so difficult. Compassion doesn't come naturally, does it? It's not instinctual with us like it was with Jesus, just so much a part of his nature. Compassion must be learned, and it must be practiced every chance we get. If we wait until we feel compassionate to act, then we might never, ever put our feet on higher ground, the higher ground of God's love and God's compassion There is a retired professor, professor of emeritus of sociology at Eastern University in St. David, Pennsylvania. And this is one of the stories that he likes to tell. And it kind of grabbed me the first time I heard it. And I thought it had something to do with compassion. So see what you think. He said at Eastern University, there's an opportunity at graduation every year for a student to give an address and to express appreciation to all of those who made it possible for this student to reach this point in their life, their parents, their friends, anyone who's helped them along the way. He said one year, a very bright, very attractive young woman had this honor. And as she stood on the rostrum, there was great expectation that her words of affirmation would affirm her parents, her mom and her dad, and other folks who helped her along this journey. As her speech progressed, the crowd became uneasy. As she revealed that every time she had gone home to visit, she had found that her politically and economically conservative father, she and her father had moved farther and farther apart in their thinking, where once they had agreed on everything when she was younger, it had reached a point where it came to political and economic issues, they agreed on almost nothing. Every time they talked, she and her father found themselves more and more ideologically estranged. He said, I can still hear her saying, Dad, There isn't much we agree on these days when it comes to politics or when it comes to what our government should be doing for the poor and for the oppressed in this world. And he said a sense of anger arose in the crowd. Graduation day was not supposed to be a time to publicly pick on your father. This was not a time to embarrass and hurt him. Then suddenly he said there was a reversal As she said this, but dad, all that I think and all that I do with the rest of my life is your fault. You taught me compassion and all my political beliefs and all my commitments are a result of the compassion that you instilled in me from the time I was a child. Though we may not agree to live out compassion in the same ways, here's to you, dad, here's to you. Anything worthwhile I do with my life is your fault. You taught me compassion, and all else in my life flows from that. And he said there were few in the audience without tears in their eyes that day. As a daughter and a father who had great ideological differences were nevertheless unified in their love of humanity and for humanity in the name of Christ. It was clear that the commonality shared, they shared compassion, and that commonality, that compassion would keep them connected forever, regardless of what their political or other views might be. Different Christians, he said, may have different political agendas, but their common commitment to Christ 
through compassion in the world should nurture a mutual respect. And heaven knows we need some of that right now in this land and across this world. A series of articles that I read about the 23rd Psalm were written by a man named Dr. Jim Fleming. Some of you may have had the privilege of hearing Jim Fleming lecture and speak. He's traveled the world. He spent a lot of time in Israel. He now has the Explorations in Antiquity, the Biblical History Center in the Grange. And if you've not been there, gather up your Sunday school class, gather up your family, your children. There's something there for them and go. Just go and see what's there. It's amazing. But in those articles, he had some things to say that were helpful, some insights about sheep and and shepherds. Let me share some of those with you. You may know some of this stuff already. He said, sheep are timid and are easily frightened. He said, a loud noise can cause one to have a heart attack and just fall over. Sheep are easily led astray. He said, while goats are much more intelligent than sheep. And I don't know if I knew that. He said, they're more independent and stubborn, but more intelligent. Two pastoral animals with very different temperaments. And I'm thinking we all, I know I do, I think we all have some sheep and some goat in us. It's the instinct and training of sheep to follow. He said, usually you can see one sheep following another, like a string of white pearls up on the hillside. They follow each other that closely. Sheep are afraid of running water or the sound of flowing water. And in the wilderness where the sheep often were, the water that was flowing was in a steep cascade down, down the rocks. And the splashing water, he said, is very frightening to the sheep. And they won't go near it. From the 23rd Psalm, he leadeth me beside the still waters. The steel is very important because the wool in the sheep, the fuzz, the the hair gets wet and matched together. And they become so heavy, he said, that they're liable to tumble over and wash down the stream. And, And many of them die like that. Like splashing water, a rushing stream is very frightening and the sheep won't go near it. So sheep can be characterized as vulnerable, frail, and easily frightened. And they often exhaust themselves in the rugged terrain before they ever get near the green pastures. Malnutrition and dehydration can both be deadly. And he had compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So some characteristics of a good shepherd. For one thing, the shepherd knows his or her sheep. In biblical days and even today, many of the shepherds were women. The shepherd knows the sheep. In general, sheep look a lot alike. And some of them have distinguishing features, but some of the shepherds with a marker or with some kind of dye would mark the sheep so that they could distinguish the sheep that belonged to them. The shepherd knew the sheep individually. They weren't just a flock. Some were older. Some were younger. Some were strong. Some were broken and weak. Some were prone to just lose their way day after day. For another thing, the good shepherd leads the sheep by going ahead of them. Goats are 
driven from behind like a herd, like, like cattle. But the sheep must be led and through the wilderness areas, through the high areas, the, the trails are narrow and, and the drop-off is steep. And it's interesting that a lot of the bones of the animals they find at the bottom of these drop-offs, they're more goat bones than sheep bones, I'm told, because goats just get frisky and independent and don't listen very well and fall over the edge. But the good shepherd knows what's the best path, what's the widest path, what's the safest way to get these sheep where they're going and then to get them home. And when necessary, a good shepherd will lay down his or her life for the sheep. They will not stop guarding the flock, even during danger to their own life. The shepherd and the sheep have become so intertwined, so much like one, so much love between them that they're attached The shepherd has raised and carried and protected and lived alongside of these sheep. The shepherd has invested his life in the sheep and cares deeply for them. And he had compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Who could have blamed Jesus if he got back in the boat and said, That's enough. I came over here to be by myself. Let's go somewhere else. Who would have faulted him if he had gone on some kind of tirade? Who are these people? What are they doing out here? Why aren't they in school? Why aren't they at work? Where did they all come from? I mean, we might have said that. But that wasn't his response, was it? Why were these people shepherdless? If you look back in the story a little bit, you'll find the death of John the Baptist. John the Baptist, John's death, was a turning point in the life of Jesus. This all ties together. John was still directing his followers from prison. Herod, or Herod Agrippa, feared that if he killed John, there might be an uprising among the populace and and it would get out of control and he couldn't handle it. But then there was that incident with Salome, the dancing girl, the provocative dance, and she got what she wanted, the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The largest occasion that we know of of people hearing Jesus came soon after the beheading of John the Baptist. If you look at the context... When the crowds heard that Herod had killed John, they looked to Jesus. That's where they were going to turn next, John's relative Jesus. The crowds ran along the shore. They had to get to Jesus. 5,000, we're told, 5,000 men, probably family units, maybe as many as 10,000 folks there running along the shore to hear what Jesus had to say. They wanted to hear what Jesus had to say about the death of John. Yet Jesus saw them, even when the disciples said, Send them away, Lord, we need a break. Haven't you been keeping up with our vacation days? We need some time off. We need a break from all of this. Yet Jesus saw them as sheep without a shepherd. The shepherd for many of these folks had been John the Baptist. And now John was gone. And Jesus was there. Jesus had become their shepherd. He told them many things. And next he fed them. And I said, we'll talk about that story in in a couple of weeks. And then he healed many of the sick. 
if they could just touch the fringe hem of his garment, the tassels. We talked about that story just a couple of weeks ago about the woman who broke through and touched the hem of his garment. Where are we in all of this? Are we among the fearful and the vulnerable and the hungry and the sick ones in the flock? If we are, if you are, I know one. I know a good shepherd who can help you. We need only say yes to him. Or are we among those who always see others through the eyes of anger and accusation and not through the eyes of compassion when we look out on a group of people whose behavior we don't understand and don't comprehend and don't always agree with? Do we look out on them angrily and wish they would go away or wish somebody would round them up? Or do we look on them with compassion? And the Good Shepherd can help us with that as well. One other story, and this is from a name that many of you are familiar with, Tony Campolo. And he tells this story. And and when I read the story, I said, well, maybe this is a story about sheep without a shepherd. See what you think. He said once a year in Northern Ireland there was an event that from his point of view seemed to be very spiteful. Protestants who called themselves the Orange Men would march through the Catholic community led by a band they would stick it to the Catholics reminding them of how they had been conquered by the army of a Protestant prince and made subject to Protestant overlords. The march, he said, always stirred up incredible anger among the, the Catholic population of Porterdown, the small city where one of the marches took place. And he said it was on the eve of one of those marches that he, Tony Campolo, had been asked to come to Porterdown, to City Hall, and to speak to the group that was gathered there. He said, preceding me on the program was a Catholic bishop who told this most remarkable story. His mother had come to Northern Ireland from Russia following World War II. The bishop had explained that because 40 million Russians had died in that war, almost every family in the environs of Moscow had been affected. When the war was over, the prisoners of war, the German prisoners of war, were taken from their stockade and marched down the main street of Moscow to the train station to be shipped back to Germany. And the bishop told how the people of Moscow came out, the Russians, and lined the streets and were just so angry at these prisoners who had brought such devastation and such destruction and so much death to their people and into their lives. They wanted to tear these Nazis to pieces. The Russian soldiers, they had all they could do. They had their hands full just to hold the crowd back. And he said the first group of Nazis who came down the street were the officers. Their heads were held high. Their uniforms were carefully buttoned. They marched with typical Nazi arrogance. They were out to demonstrate to this angry mob that they had not been conquered. They had not been made to feel daunt it or lose their dignity or anything else because of what had happened. As the Nazi officers marched by, the crowd became more indignant and they screamed and they yelled obscenities and they tried to break through the line and to get to them. And then, said the bishop, the crowd suddenly went silent 
as there came behind them the enlisted men. Not having been as well treated by their superiors, they were on the verge of starvation. Their bodies were skin and bones. What had been their uniforms were now just rags. They were doing their best to make their way to the train station, and the strongest were trying to prop up and hold and help the weak who were falling, and and some were dying. They were an incredibly wretched sight to behold. And he said the crowd grew silent. And then one woman broke through the line of Russian soldiers, and she approached these prisoners of war who were being marched to the train station and she offered them the bread that she had brought with her one piece of bread and suddenly all of the women or most of the women in the crowd ran back to their homes and they came back with all the bread and all the food they could carry and they began to give it to these starving enemy soldiers And the bishop said, suddenly those German soldiers were transformed in the eyes of those Russian onlookers that afternoon. No longer were they seen as arrogant and evil men. Instead, the bishop said, my mother told me, each of them had become in the eyes of the onlookers somebody's little boy, hungry perhaps, dying, and a long way from home. I thought about sheep without a shepherd. And tomorrow, said the bishop to the Catholics assembled at the rally, as the orange men march through your neighborhood, toning you and saying evil things about you, do not look at them and say to yourselves, they're evil, we must destroy them, but look at them and say to yourself, each one of them is somebody's little boy tired and hungry long way from home sheep without a shepherd it's another way of looking at the world around us it's another way of looking at the world within us amen